The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How much time do you spend thinking about markets? Probably a lot. But how about market forces and how market forces impact innovation and disruption potentially on your company? Well, here to discuss that with us, Jill Johnson. Jill, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Hey, good. Well, so tell us, so what does disruption and market forces have to do with one another? Well, for a lot of enterprises, you know, it used to be in the good old days, planning was a very static process. You'd do your plan, you'd work your plan for three to five years, and then you'd come up with another one. And today, every all bets are off. There's so much disruption going on, and much of it is driven by things that you cannot control. And in the world of strategy work that I do, we call those market forces, and we look at how each of those will affect a client enterprise. Well, the world was certainly a simpler place, uh, <laughs> probably, uh, you know, when we were kids. But so let's take a look. So um, are there a lot of these market forces? I mean, what do we got? Well, I, there are nine that I find transcend most industries. And so that would be things like demographics, generational shifts, looking at what your competitors are doing and how they're responding to, to things in their world, um, economic shifts and changes, the shifts in operating costs, how you're looking at what's happening with regulations and government intervention, capital markets, technology, and then just industry evolution. So each one of those can have an effect. And, and they all touch virtually every enterprise, every trade association, every organization down to an organic level. But most people don't step back and most business execs don't have time to step back. They're so busy running and gunning day to day that they sometimes miss the, the nuances and the shifts of how these market forces have started having impact and then boom, all of a sudden they have exceptionally complex impact and then everybody's behind the eight ball trying to figure out now what do we do? And in some organizations, it ends up being an enterprise threatening situation. And so then you have to try and figure out what do you do? Well, and needless to say, these, uh, these forces are not mutually exclusive. So you're not dealing with one at a time. 
Exactly. And, and that's what makes business today so complex is the interrelationships of all of these different elements are creating new perspectives on the part of not just the consumers that you might sell to or the business clients that you might be working with, but it impacts the workforce that you can find and how well are they able to satisfy client needs. And so for a lot of the clients that we look at, um, you know, it's one thing to, to study the demographic shifts and that gets into everything. Thing, both in terms of changing ethnicity makeup in certain communities, it's income levels, it's all of those kinds of things. And then you overlay that with perspectives like um, uh, consumer psychographic components and looking at what are their belief systems. And so for some industries, we're seeing really significant shifts in consumer spending and how they manage money that for certain industry sectors that we work for become very problematic. You know, uh, business was never over simple, but it didn't have dimension after dimension after dimension like it does now. Oh, I mean, it is really, you know, when you start thinking mm -hmm. about the things that you just mentioned, the list of nine different forces, that is really, and then, and then consumers have their own uh, dimensions mm -hmm. to them because they're exactly. all thinking about different things. So uh, exactly. the labyrinth has gotten really complicated. So where do you start? Let's say you, you go into a company. What are the first things that you would look at or what are the first things that management should be looking at? Well, I think one of it is is really stepping back and taking a look at the competitive impact. Um, many of the clients that we've worked with over the years assume they know about their competition. I can't tell you the number of meetings where we've been involved with clients where, well, oh, so-and-so, they're not a direct competitor. You know, they've never done anything. But when we, but when we go and look externally, we might secret shop the competition. Um, we're doing deep qualitative interviewing of vendors and key, and, and key influencers in, in critical markets to see their perceptions, all of a sudden you find out that competitors that management has totally dismissed are actually significant players that are not only nipping at their heels, but they're absolutely transforming the expectations of the marketplace. And often when we get into those situations, that's when not only does management have to have a re-education about how to think about their market, but then now they're in a position where they may have to make millions of dollars in investment in order to remain competitive. And, or I had one client in particular, <laughs> it was a senior living community in the Chicago area, and I said, you know, I think for the first time you're going to have to pull your, your primary um, common areas building down and start all over again. And they were just horrified. I mean, I've been doing this for over 30 years, <laughs> and I never said that before. Is that, is that because consumer preferences are changing rapidly? It's just so different. In, in that particular industry, the competitive forces have, have completely transformed what is considered high-end, both in the visual appeal as well as in the services and the resources that are offered. And so I remember having a conversation with this particular client, and I said, and they, they were horrified when I said that. And, and, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, well, first of all, um, aside from the lack of visual appeal of the building that you built in 1960 that just no, <laughs> no longer visually looks aesthetically pleasing, I said, your competitors have fitness centers within their within their building. Um, and they said, well, but we have the YMCA on the corner of our property. I said, well, okay, that's fine. That's fair. But when was the last time any of you actually were in the Y? And they all 
looked at me. Well, I had been. So I was able to explain to them how the visual representation of what that community resource was providing to the residents that were looking at living there or living in a high-end Marriott or a Hyatt type of property was completely different. And I said, so the, the critical question for you is, you've been redefined by your competition. You are no longer a first tier provider. And so you have a choice. You either now need to make significant investment to upgrade to remain competitive, or you need to accept that you've been redefined and you're no longer a preeminent force in this particular market area. Well, boy, did that have a lot of um, conversation, but I had research and insight and information that, that laid the case out pretty strongly and they so, ended up so making the, just so, the decision. So what is the question that, mm -hmm. you know, the question I'm taking away is, what do you want to be? Do you want to be uh, a primary provider or do you want to be a secondary provider? If they want to be primary, they have to really redo the place. If they want to be secondary, they can have the why on the corner. Is that kind of exactly. the answer? Exactly. I think for, and for that one, and, and it was, but it was such a horrifying conversation for them because for years they had been nationally known within the industry for innovation and their service and the resources, but they've gotten very complacent. And that's what I often see is, is driving it. People get used to whatever success level they've had, but those forces around them are moving at such an accelerated pace. The other thing that had happened, there were, there were two other factors that the competitors were feeding in that that particular client had, negate, had neglected to stay on top of, and that was the shifts not only in demographics in terms of what was happening and how big was the market and what kind of income levels people had, but the generational differences of, of again, senior living from serving that GI generation who grew up and, and they served in World War II and when when they came home, they were fiscally prudent and, and had um, money stocked away. They had pensions they could rely on and they had no debt. Their homes were paid off. We're seeing now very, very different attitudes on the part of their children who are part of the silent generation. Everybody's talking about the baby boomers, but it's the silence that are making those decisions right now for buying their, for independent housing. They don't have very good financial skills in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And and they've got debt. We've been tracking debt data for that age group, age cohort for quite a while. And I've I've had some very illuminating conversations with clients and that that then ties into pricing strategy for a client on what they're looking at and how much can the market bear and how much will the market bear. And so it's been very interesting conversations as you overlay um, multiples of those areas together. And then regulatory, clients are getting slammed at every possible level, whether it's their local city council has now created a new um, ordinance. We have some of those things happening here in Minnesota with um, overtime pay, sick leave, uh, part-time employees and new rules coming for them. Yeah. To what happens every time you have a legislative session, there's new state regs and requirements. And then the federal as well, the compliance requirements, especially because I work in very complex industries and compliance requirements, or they're just getting slammed with. You know, uh, talking about um, competitors and who you perceive to be your competitors, mm -hmm. I, I think back Mark Zuckerberg sat in front of uh, Congress and the Senate and he answered questions. And one of the things that stuck out the most for me was they asked him who his competitors are. Mm. And he said it was Apple and Google. And, and they said, well, you know, if we don't like our Ford car and we want to go buy a different car, there are other cars we can buy. 
if we don't like your product, what else can we go do? Right. And, you know, to me, you know, he said, well, you know, Apple and Google, to me, that's the wrong answer. I, I just don't think that Apple and Google are the competitors. I mean, there are some of the competitors, but they're not the competitors. To me, Facebook is just an advertising vehicle like everything else. It's eyeballs. Uh, it's newspapers, radio, TV. I mean, if they don't like Facebook, let advertisers buy radio. Mm-hmm. Facebook might be better, though, which is the reason that uh, they're they're exploding in revenue and they're exploding in profit. But if they don't like it, you know, if somebody doesn't like it, go shop somewhere else. You and I are not the customers of Facebook. We're like TV viewers. <laughs> We're getting it for free. Now, right. granted, we need to know what they're doing with our stuff just just so we can decide if we want to participate or not. But we're not the customer. I, I, I just kind of get the sense that that whole discussion was out of whack. Do you have a sense about that? You know, it's. It, I, I would tend to agree with you. And I think the other aspect of that is, as it, and it's some of it ties to generational components as well. Whose eyeballs are you looking to have on, on your stuff? Um, you know, we're hearing more and more about the, the Gen Z and those be- below them are looking at Facebook as that's for old people, you know, like, like you and I, um, and, you know, and then you have the whole cycle of Twitter and there, you know, I go, I mean, I know you look at my space. I mean, there, the, the, those networks of social interaction are constantly shifting and changing and, depending on where you are and if you're an early adopter, if you're a bit of a laggard, I mean, not only from a business perspective, can that be a time suck until you get it all figured out, but as a consumer, you just don't know, well, where should I go? And if you shift to one versus the other, um, you know, the money doesn't necessarily follow you. And and then from a business perspective, you know, people are running and gunning. I, I do a lot of mentoring. And so many of the young people that I'm mentoring right now are getting jobs in digital media. And I'm just laughing because... <laughs> Well, okay, are you guys going to be adaptable enough that in another year or two when some other new thing comes along, you're going to be prepped and ready to explain? Well, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting question because they don't know anything different. Exactly. You know, they don't know anything except for every year it's different. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, for us, you know, you know, I mean, listen, my mother-in-law, and, and I've said this probably before, but, you know, my mother-in-law, she's a smart lady but she's had a really hard time learning how to use uh, any of the tools that are available. Why? It's not she can't learn the tool. It's that she can't unlearn how a CD player works. She can't (laughs) unlearn how radio works and how you use the plug in the speakers. And -hmm. and now, you know, you don't go to the CD store. You know, I mean, everything has changed. She's had a really hard time adapting to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would imagine that young people are better at adapting because their world has been in chaos since the day they were born. Exactly. I mean, anybody who's 20 years old, I mean, every year the computer changes and they're just used to it. They just expect that's how it is. Right. Well, and I think part of it is, is they're looking at the, the, the shifts and changes. Sometimes they over respond to whatever new opportunity is coming along and they just assume, oh, whatever this new thing is, now we need to marshal all of our forces and go chase after that versus, um, I'm a little old school, prove that it's really going to work, prove there's going to be a lot of eyeballs. Do you remember Plaxo? You know, that was going to take over yeah. and beat LinkedIn. And, you know, so people spend a lot of time on some of these new kinds of things and new resources. And so you have to figure out where in the mix does it really fit for you? And more importantly, if you're selling to a consumer, whether it's a, an individual consumer or it's a business consumer, 
where do they go? Where are their eyeballs? Where do they fit? And I think that, you know, I, I have a feeling Mr. Zuckerberg is in um, planning for some future government disruption to his enterprise. <laughs> may or may not it might be. not be disruption. It might be interruption. <laughs> it's like a little detail, but you know, that government, that government beast can have an impact on business. And I think they're yeah. ripe for, um, I think they're very ripe for, for an, uh, a pretty big impact on that. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. How, how do you, um, you know, as a high-end management consultant, how do you think about uh, issues related to you, what you were just talking about that, you know, a new thing comes out and people start running and gunning as fast as they can, as opposed to kind of wait and see how long do you wait? When do you, when do you go guns blazing? You know, do you have a, a formula? Do you look at things a certain way in that regard? You know, I think it, it depends on every situation, but I, my general default is I'm a little has I'm a little slow to adopt. Um, I'm a watch and wait. I had a client who came home from a national conference and we need to start talking about what we are differently and and in the senior living space, which is one industry sector I work in, um, there are continuing care retirement communities. That for years has been a, an industry norm and basically what it means is a provider who has full continuum of support on their site, independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing. And there are a handful of, of counterparts, if you will, to, to people like me that play at that national level. And I know they all got in a room and they were all ginned up, but you need new words to define the industry. So they came back with a recommendation to, for life plan community. And so that was good. Everybody was supposed to rebrand their sites as life plan community. So my client comes back and they're a very sophisticated provider and they were all ginned up. We need new collateral. We've got to redo our website, sure. whatever. And I'm like, dude, time out. I said, first of all, you're licensed by your state as a continuing care retirement community. So if you rebrand all of that, you're going to have some confusion on the part of your consumer because you are legally licensed yeah. as an entity as a CCRC. I said, and secondly, I am, I remain skeptical that this industry is going to get good traction on it because I facilitated focus groups all across the country where when you're talking to consumers about the buying decision for that, that industry, they know what a CCRC is and means and have very specific expectations of that. The consumers aren't going to respond to this whole new well, thing. Well, listen, there is a very important <laughs> lesson. There's a very important lesson here. And that is that um, 20 people sitting around a table is different than millions and millions of consumers. Oh. And there is a huge learning curve. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned the learning curve, uh, you know, firsthand because I got involved in a facts-based business Okay. Fax machines were brand yeah, new. Yeah, and I remember had, those days. <laughs> and we, that was in the early 90s. And we had yep. to teach consumers how fax machines worked and what they did and why they were, uh, you know, valuable for them. Yep. And it really was, there was a big learning curve. And it, learning curves, by the way, are very expensive. And you have to teach people what to do. Mm. costs a lot of money. Well, and there's two thoughts to that. So just one thing with that client. So that was two years ago. That life plan community framework has not caught on at all. My client has since repeatedly said, thank God I listened to you. Um, and the second thing is often what happens w w in the learning curve as you're talking about, particularly if it's a young, entrepreneurially um, energetic 
enterprise. They spend all their time, money, and resources educating the market, and then a big player comes in and takes over dominance. And, and so they never quite get the ROI that they were hoping for. So I, like I said, I tend to be a little bit more old school. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, my radar is big and wide and I'm seeing lots of things on the horizon, um, robotics and how that's going to impact healthcare and healthcare delivery and, and construction industry, places where historically they've relied on people to provide the service and the work, they're having so much difficulty now in almost every industry I work in finding talent that I can see where robotics will, will have an impact. And occasionally I'll seed up some provocative ideas in my speeches, but in terms of the practical matters, the industry is just not ready for it. The consumer is just not ready for it. So you have are, to look at how it tips in. How are your clients dealing with um, disruption in the form of employees? <gasps> the world is changing, but the employees are not. How are they dealing with that? You know, it's it's one of the most frustrating things. I'm, in fact, I'm working on a strategic initiative with the construction industry in Minnesota right now. And we're looking at this whole issue of workforce development. And I'm working with the contractors, the unions, um, the education institutions, um, as well as community organizations and government agencies. And so you've got lots of players who all have competing agendas, um, which which makes for some some quite the the challenges. But at the at the end of the day, the things that we're hearing, you know, from those who hire that workforce is they're not coming out of the schools prepared to work. Um, the, they don't have the the maths, basic math skills to be able to handle some of the things that you would expect someone to do on a construction site. Or they've got other issues in terms of not being um, uh, able to handle the the um, the world of work. I'll just leave it at that. And so it's disruptive. And so we're seeing and having conversations with clients about, well, what are the workarounds? For some, it's been um, like the nursery and landscape industry. You'll get people that are coming from other uh, countries in South America who come for the growing season and do work in the fields and, and work in the greenhouses, and then they go back. So, so you're seeing, you've seen over the years, industry has adopted that way. But we're starting to have more and more conversations about the influence and the confluence of how technology will be deployed because I can program a piece of equipment to do those basic functions. Well, I don't have to pay other than the initial capital costs and you amortize those, but, but you've got, you don't have benefits to pay. You don't have high cost healthcare that you have to pay. Yeah. For those, and you don't have to deal with an employee who's saying, "Well, if you don't give me more money, I'm going to go to Joe Blow down the street." So, so are our employees or unions looking at that, saying, "Maybe we need to be a little more cooperative. Maybe we need to have a little better <laughs> attitude." Um, I would say that they're at least at the table, um, and I, I actually had a union um, official privately say to me last week, um, you know, we pushed the industry too far on one particular thing and now we're paying a price for it. But, you know, everybody's got an agenda. And I think at the end of the day, when you can find the intersections of where those agendas overlap and figure out what the narrow boundaries are for how you can go together, there are opportunities for collaboration. But the employers who are going to, um, I think, 
capture the attention of those in the market for the the workforce recognize what their value is so um, one client I have I mean they were they were part of a large healthcare system and the healthcare system kept poaching their employees and you know the my division CEO was very frustrated and I said look why don't we stop whining about it? Because it's going to happen. There's nothing we can do to turn it off. I said, but let's use that to your advantage. So you can say to a prospective workforce, if you ever want to work at this world-class enterprise that we happen to be a part of, we are a great entry point for you. And if you work with us for two years, your likelihood of getting in the door across the street is pretty significant. Well, now all of a sudden we have a value add that our local competition can't compete with. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes that's a that's, little bit that more was, than that's money. That's true. It just, you've, now you've positioned yourself as a revolving door for early stage workers. But exactly. You know, I mean, that's, if that's okay with you, then it works but, out. But for, for that particular client, they have no choice. There's such yeah. a revolution there that that becomes the value add. And then they get the two-year commitment from the individuals. And, and, you know, often they'll stay longer because they like the people, the work, and the environment. But it's just the reality, particularly in healthcare right now. I mean, CNAs, um, certified nursing assistants, they'll leave you for a quarter an hour. Yeah. And they'll, they'll go across the street. So if you don't have something beyond the, the, the dollars that you put in their pocket, it doesn't matter. And, and they'll leave you in a month. They'll leave you in six weeks and they'll leave you in the lurch. So if you can get something where you can benefit and get people to hook into you for a year or two, you're doing okay. <laughs> You know, the, the, uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, preventing yourself or protecting yourself from disruption, uh, from just incredible innovation is really still the same thing. It's really street smarts. Mm -hmm. It's about dealing with people. It's about asking hard questions. You have a question or two that you think that uh, all companies should be asking all the time as we get ready to wrap up? Well, I, I circle back again to the competitive marketplace because if if you understand where your competitors are leading or, you know, people will tell me all the time, but I don't have any competition, you know, and I do the hairy eyeball roll and go, okay, how else are your customers getting their needs met? And then all of a sudden that shifts the dialogue because your sure, customers sure. are getting their needs met or they don't need what you have to offer. <laughs> so I think those are, those are um, you know, pieces of it. And then you start to look at things like, you know, income and pricing. I mean, everybody wants to be the highest price to make a bazillion dollars, but there's a lot of reality to, to, you know, baby boomers are awful with money, generally speaking, and their parents aren't much better. And their parents are now spending all kinds of money, paying off the houses for their baby boomer kids and paying the college education for their grandkids. Well, now, all of a sudden, that starts to shift what those older adults can do in their retirement year. And it just, so it all flows in. So, you know, how financially astute and savvy are your customers? Um, whether they're a business customer or an individual, I think, is another question. But I think the bottom line also for me is the more you know and understand about those who buy from you, the better able you'll be to anticipate shifts, needs, and changes. And then you stay very aware and scanning constantly for what is on the near-term horizon, what's shifting, what's changing, and then looking long-term. And 
finally looking at your own data because oftentimes we'll start to see we do a lot of data analysis and a lot of big data review and every time we get in you know clients you, by the way that market area you thought that was 25 mile radius um, it's been five miles for the last five years and it's being encroached in pretty significantly so now what are you going to do <laughs> you know uh, if, if the big takeaway is that you have to know your customers uh, you know it's funny how the, the, the world kind of revolves I, I imagine a hundred years ago uh, the local pharmacy or the local supermarket, they knew their customers very, very well. Personally, exactly. had dinner with them, lunch, yep. families got together on the weekends. And it's maybe coming back to the place where you really need to know your customers really well. So exactly. well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, you want to give us some info and tell us how that can happen? Sure. Um, my website, uh, there's lots of resources there. Um, it's www.jcs dash usa.com for johnson consulting services so jcs dash usa.com or they can give me a call at 763-571-3101 again that's 5763-571-3101 well gee you are a wealth of uh, of information thank you very much for sharing it with us appreciate Thanks. having you on board it was my pleasure thanks for having thank me You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.